God's word for us this morning comes from John chapter 14, verse 25 through 31. And Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. God, we thank you for these words, that they bring truth to our ears and and truth to our hearts. We pray that our hearts would be open to hear your words, to receive the truth, to hear the promise and the hope that they offer, and that you would work that in us as we sit and listen and as we go and do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. When a small child falls and scrapes their knee, or when a small child is picked on by kids at school, or when that child is fearful in the middle of the night, whether it be a thunderstorm or they're just afraid of the dark, more than likely, they run to mom and dad. And either mom or dad tells them, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. I'm here for you. When a Christian falls, or a Christian experiences setbacks and discouragements and pain and despair in life, when a Christian is hurt by the words of others, or they experience cruel treatment, or they're betrayed by a so-called friend, and when a Christian is shunned, or they go through anxiety, fear, or worry, where can you and I go to hear those words, everything's going to be okay, everything's going to be fine, you can be at peace, I'm here for you, and I will comfort you. Friend, the next time you're overcome by anxiety and worry and fear, and the next time you're, you're so uncertain about your future, you want to just kind of break down and not live life anymore, can I suggest something to you? that you make a beeline to this passage, that you run to the passage we're looking at today. And I trust your Bible is still open there in front of you. We're going to examine this a little bit more closely. In a troubled world that we live in, in a troubled world with school shootings, in a troubled world that, that massacres unborn children, in a troubled world that has racism, in a world of all kinds of problems of sexual harassment, where women have been belittled, and we continue to hear about that on a consistent basis. In a world that we live in where marriages are broken left and right, in fact, we hear about it so much, I'm afraid we become numb to that, that, that another marriage perhaps has failed, and, and we hear about it so often, we don't even blink at it anymore. 
In a world where leaders have not met your expectations, where they have let you down. And there's a myriad of reasons to be, humanly speaking, discouraged and let down and full of anxiety and fear in this world. Where can you turn to words that speak to the very fears and anxieties you have right now? Words of peace, words of comfort, words of joy. Jesus speaks words here that provide that peace and that joy that we can never have outside of him. Let's think of the context that was just read to you a little bit ago from Pastor Kyle. This is the night before Jesus would die. It's the night before Jesus would die, one of the cruelest deaths a human being could die. And that is to be crucified on a Roman cross. It was a brutal, grotesque, uh, very vile form an inhumane form of capital punishment. And this is the night before Jesus would die that kind of death. And here's the interesting thing about the upper room discourse, John 14 through 17. Jesus, instead of asking for comfort and encouragement from his followers, that's not what he's asking for. What is he doing? He's giving that. Jesus is giving words of peace. He's giving words of encouragement and comfort. And unlike us, in our times of despair, we really want people to give that to us. But Jesus is giving that to others. And what you find, the last night of Jesus' earthly ministry, before he would go to the cross and die, he's very concerned about the peace and the joy and the comfort of his followers. And here's what he wants to get across to them. You've heard me say this again and again. It's to your advantage. It's better for you that I go away. And here's the benefit to this. And here's the central truth we're going to orbit around today as we look at this passage is that Jesus returning to the Father is our assurance of his presence, peace, and joy. So rest assured today If Christ is indeed your Savior, and if he's your Savior, just say amen to that. It's a joyful thing to be able to do that, to testify that he's your Savior. So if he's your Savior, you can rest assured he's not physically here on earth. He's ascended up into heaven, and that's why you can have God's presence. That's why you can know God's peace, and that's why you can know his joy. So to have peace and just to be calm, and not be out of sorts, and not been out of shape in a world that is so chaotic, and to be able to have that calm and that peace in the midst of a stormy life and a stormy world. You know what that is, friends? That's to be Christ-like. That's to be Christ-like. It's to trust in your Savior. And let's consider today the recipe God gives for peace and joy in a very troubling world. Look at verse 25 again, and this really sets the stage for where we're going in in the body of today's message. So take a look again at verse 25, and Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. And here's the dominant theme that Jesus continues to emphasize over and over. You are better off that I go away. You're better off that I leave, that I go away and I go back to the Father. And here's the second reference of five that you'll find of Jesus referring to the Holy Spirit in the upper room discourse. And he'll get into how the paraclete, how the helper, how the Holy Spirit helps you. So how does he in particular help you as you live the Christian life? And why are we better off that Jesus is in heaven and not physically here on earth? So what's God's recipe? 
What's God's recipe for peace and joy in a very troubled world? Here's the first one. It's to remind yourself of his words. Now jump down again to verse 26, if you would. And Jesus said this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and... Bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So ask yourself this question. What is one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life today? What is he doing? Why is it important you know this? What is the Holy Spirit at this very moment doing in your life? This verse is an answer to that. One of the many answers Scripture gives. And you find this here clearly articulated. Jesus here makes it clear. The Holy Spirit is sent in whose name? What does it say in your Bible? Jesus' name. So that means this, the Holy Spirit points you to Jesus. And how does he point you to Jesus? Well, for the lost, he points you to the gospel. He points you to the fact Jesus died, he was buried, he's risen again from the dead. And 1 Corinthians 12, 3 teaches us that no one can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So he points to Christ. And so in a real direct way, Jesus' primary audience would hear these words, and you hear these today as well. He will teach you all things. Well, what are the all things? Does this mean everyone's going to be an expert in quantum physics or calculus or algebra? If that's the case, I got a lot to learn because I made it through algebra by the skin of my teeth in high school. And even that should be examined. I think it had to do with some real charitable teachers who helped me through it. So it has nothing to do with that. What is he going to teach you? What is the Holy Spirit going to teach you? Well, primarily this happened, Jesus' first audience who heard this, they would have this applied in their lives as they would go and preach the gospel in the early church. And a few of them would have this applied in this sense in that they would be inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down the words of Scripture, what God would want us to know. Now, something to keep in mind that is, is kind of easy to forget in our smartphone world, in our computer world, Jesus' followers didn't walk around with an iPad. They didn't have smartphones. They didn't have tape recorders. They didn't have notepads that were literally writing down everything Jesus said. So how do they remember this? How do they know what to write? Well, that's where we get back to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God inspired them, dictated them, moved them along, 1 Peter 1 teaches us, as they wrote down the words of Jesus. So that means this. In a very supernatural way, God would dictate to the apostles exactly what the Holy Spirit intended to write. And so today, we do not receive new revelation from God. But what we do have is the final, completed, sufficient revelation of God, and it's called the Bible. And it's there in the canon of Scripture that we have today. And we have the ability by God's grace, the ability by God's power, the knowledge by God's power, because he's opened up our eyes to the truth of this gospel, to understand things we would never understand if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit opening up our minds and our hearts to this truth. Here's a passage that helps us understand this. 1 Corinthians 2 is such a crucial passage when you talk about the Spirit of God giving us understanding. There's a, a well-known verse in that chapter that, that says, 
Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But a lot of people use that in regards to a, a funeral and say, wow, you just can't comprehend all the things God has done for, for the Christian. And in a sense, that's, that's true, but that's taking that verse out of context, really, because verse 10 of that same chapter says, but these things have been revealed to us. Who's the us? It's Christians who've been truly redeemed. And this helps you understand that you have an understanding that you would never have if the Spirit of God did not live inside of you. Let's read this helpful passage together as a church. Let these words sink into your heart. Let's read together. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught in the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So we don't have everything recorded that Jesus said. John 21, verse 25 makes that very clear. But here's what you do have. You have everything recorded that God wanted you to know. Everything God wants you to know is recorded in the Bible. Now, who is the one who brought these things back to memory? According to this passage, it would be the Spirit of God. It would be the Holy Spirit. So today, instead of God giving us new revelation, you know what he does? He gives us a sufficient revelation, something that is sufficient for us today, and that's his word. So we don't need to crave new revelation. We don't need to pray for new revelation. We need to pray that we would draw from the sufficient revelation of God's word, the Bible. And the only way to be helped by this, friends, is to be immersed in it. Immersed in the Bible. I appreciate what Kevin DeYoung said one time. It's not enough just to be around the Bible, which is common in our church because we have a lot of Bibles and a lot of people own Bibles and, and they're everywhere. So it's not enough just to be around it. You need the Bible in you. Now what does that mean? Does that mean you have to have a memory like Jason Nightingale had? Not necessarily. Does that mean you have to be able to quote thousands of verses of Scripture? No, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that. But here's what it does mean. You need to know some things about Scripture. You need to know what particular passages of the Bible speak to your struggles. And we all have struggles today. Can, can I just ask, how many of you are struggling with at least one thing in life right now? All right, unanimously, together, 100%, they're there. So how does the Bible speak to that? So how does the Bible speak to anxiety and fear and worry and being consumed with what people think about us? How does the Bible speak to lustful thoughts? How does the Bible speak to pride and arrogance? How does the Bible speak to how a husband treats a wife and how a wife responds to her husband's headship and authority? How does the Bible speak to our attitudes in church? How does the Bible speak to how we face temptation? Now think of all of these things. The Holy Spirit guides you, and the Holy Spirit guides you into all truth we'll get to in John chapter 16. How? Through his word through the truth of his word. And since the Holy Spirit is God, he's divine, and the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, you know what you have there in your lap there, friends, in your hands, in your tablet, in your smartphone? You have a supernatural book. Have you ever thought about that? 
It is a supernatural book that speaks to us in such deep, profound, personal, heart-cutting ways. So when the Bible speaks to your struggles, it does so in a very supernatural way. It's not like when another human being would say, try harder, do better, you need a better you, you need more willpower. Not that at all. The Bible cuts to your heart. It cuts to the bones and the marrow, as Hebrews 4 verse 12 teaches us. But not only that, should we immerse ourselves in the Word, this is kind of the same thing, but it also relates to it is read the Word. Read it. By that I mean this. Sit under the Word as much as you can. I'm thankful today with modern technology you can listen to the Word quite a bit. Immerse yourself in it by meditating, memorizing. As you're exposed to the Word and trust God more, you eventually become more like Christ. So when somebody asks you, why are you so incredibly dogmatic about the Bible? Why do you read it so much? Why do you talk about it so much? Why do you go to all these Bible studies? And why do you, every time I bring up a problem with you, and maybe somebody has said this to you before, and take this as a wonderful compliment. Every time I bring a problem up to you, you always bring the Bible up. You ever had that said to you? Why do we do that all the time? I come here for counseling, and the pastors always give me the Bible. And they keep, they keep telling me the Bible speaks to your problems, and they keep giving me a bunch of scripture. Why should you read your Bible? Because you want to bring glory to God to become more like Christ. And as you are in the Bible more, the Spirit of God works in your heart and conforms you, as 1 Corinthians 3 verse 18 teaches, from one degree of glory to another. You literally become a new you, not in the sense of a better you, but a more Christ-like you. That's why we want to spend time in the Word. We want to become more like the Savior, less like ourselves. So, if we're going to have peace and joy... In a very troubled world, you've got to remind yourself of this. Remind yourself of these words. Here's the second ingredient to this, and that's to receive and rest in his peace. Look at these precious words again in verse 27. The words of our Savior. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Billions of dollars every year are spent on pursuing peace. Diplomats fly all over the world, we've seen in recent weeks, looking to pursue what we call peace talks or peace treaties. Not all of that's bad, a lot of that's good. You know, families and couples will spend countless billions of dollars every year to professional counselors or therapists to try to find peace for their home, or even for their marriage. Ask yourself this. When you look at this passage and you read this in your Bible, do you ever consider for a moment, what were the circumstances of Jesus' original followers here? What were they like? What kind of circumstances were they going through? Just think about this for for a moment. This is the night before Jesus would die a cruel death on the cross. These men were experiencing uncertainty and fear and sadness and even despair. That's what makes these words so powerful. Anyone can be at peace when circumstances are good. Well, look at life. It's good. You got a good marriage and you have a good job and and your kids love you and you love your kids and the plumbing's not leaking at the house and everything's going great. Anyone could say they have peace in that. 
But peace here, the way Jesus talks about, is profoundly different than that. So what does this word peace mean? What, what do we mean when we say the word peace? Well, for those living in the Roman Empire, they would have thought of military. They would have thought of the military, the most powerful one in the world at that time, coming in and forcing peace upon them. For the Greek audience, they would have thought of peace the way you and I think of it, as Western thinkers, as American thinkers. We would have thought of it as no more war, no hostility, everyone's getting along, and and that's peace to them. But for the Jewish mind, they thought of it a little bit differently. And they would have thought of like a blessedness, a unity, a calmness of heart. The Hebrew word, you probably know it, most of you, shalom. That's what they would have thought of when they thought of peace. And this is what Jesus has in mind. When I think of peace, when you think of peace, we often think of no fear, no worries. Everyone gets along. There's no conflict. There's no drama. There's lots of good health. There's lots of prosperity. There's lots of money. There's simply no problems. But Jesus uses a contrast here. And the peace that the world gives is not real peace. Do you know that? The peace the world gives is not a a real peace. You know what that is? We use the word a lot today. It's a popular word in our parlance, in our language. It's a fake peace. It's a fake peace. It's not real. You know why? Because the peace of the world deals with everything outside of you. If I could just change them and make them better, if I could get along better with them, if I could make my circumstances better, but that doesn't really deal with the core of the issue. And the core of the issue is what's going on in our hearts. And the peace that Jesus is offering here, my peace that he gives to his followers, is a peace that transcends circumstances, goes beyond that, and it gets to our very hearts. It's a peace that depends upon God, not on self, that trusts in God, not trusting in our circumstances. It's a peace that depends upon him. It's a calm. It's a peace. No despair, no worry, no getting out of sorts. And that's why Jesus says in this verse the same thing he says in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Can you say that with me? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The same way a child runs to their mom or their dad is the same way we run to passages like this. And we read the words of our Savior Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, according to this verse, look at it, dissect it, meditate on it, hide it in your heart. Friend, ask yourself this question. Always ask a lot of questions of a text. According to this text, who is your source of peace? Who is it? Jesus alone, and that's it. God, through Christ, gives us peace with him, an inward peace, and peace with others. There's a threefold dynamic to this peace that God gives to us. Let's break this down just a little bit. We looked at this just a couple minutes ago when we were singing a song together. Romans 5 verse 1 teaches us, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God one way, one person, one way of redemption, and that is through Christ. This is the point where peace begins. If you don't have that, you don't have peace. This is where it must begin. You want peace with God? You come to faith in his son, Jesus. You trust in what he did on the cross for our sins. 
You turn from your sin and you turn to the Son of God, God incarnate, who lived a perfect life, died in our place, rose again from the dead. And everyone who truly trusts in him will have all of their sins forgiven, washed under the blood of Christ, and you will be God's child. Now, friend, until that happens, I want to use biblical terms with you. Until you come to faith in Christ, this is what God says. God says you're alienated from him. He says you're a child of wrath, you're walking in darkness, you're blind spiritually, even you're at war with God. You're an enemy of God until you come to faith in Christ. I don't share that to to beat you up or try to manipulate you. I share that because that's what the Bible teaches. But friend, today, right where you're sitting today, you're not here on accident. You're an answer to prayer, you coming to church today, if you are lost and you do not know Christ. We have prayed for you this week. And I want you to know, right where you're sitting today, you can cry out to God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross. I turn to him and I trust in him alone. And God will take your record, like he did with mine, that's full of sin, and he will wash it clean under the blood of his son. And he will make you his child. And you will enter into a relationship with your heavenly father that is not at war, that's not marked by hostility, but that's marked by peace. This is where it starts. Well, we also have this. We also have an inward peace. So salvation gives us peace with God, and inward peace gives us the peace of God. The peace of God. What robs us of our peace? Why are we not calm? Why do we get full of worry and anxiety and fear. Why does that happen in life? What robs us of this? Friends, here's what happens. We try to deal with stress and anxiety and circumstances and fears in our own strength. And what's the common denominator of all of these circumstances? Here's what it is. It's uncertainty. What is going to happen in the future? Does anyone here ever ask that about your future? What's going to happen in my future? How is this all going to work out? How is this all going to pan out? In the world around us, it seems so chaotic. Cars break down. And sometimes when cars break down, you don't know how you're going to pay the repair bill. Pipes in a house leak. Sump pumps go out. And is there ever a good time to lose a job? Is there ever a good time to lose a loved one? Is there ever a good time to be sad? or to hear you've got cancer, or that your loved one has cancer? Is there ever a good time to go through a trial? And here's what God's peace does. No matter how crazy life is around you, or how much it seems like your heart has to go nuts, or go crazy, or get totally out of sorts and bent out of shape, the peace of God, that inward peace, gives you an inward calm, and a trust, and a peace of knowing what God is doing in your life. Tonight we're going to look at this a little bit more in depth from Colossians 3. We're going to look here at kind of the garments of a peaceful person. What is their biblical clothing that they wear? I'm not talking about garments like this, but I'm talking about your, your, your uh, characteristics of Christ-likeness in your life. So, God has a solution to all of this. This is what I love about the Bible. It always has a solution. So instead of living in fear and living a life that's been out of shape and out of sorts, here's what God tells you to do. Take this to God in thankful prayer and cast everything upon him. Now, are you convinced today that God can handle your problems? Are you convinced of that today? Are you convinced he cares? 
that he cares about your problems, that he cares about what you're going through. Look with me at Philippians 4, this, this great chapter that deals with contentment. Paul writing from prison to a church that uh, in many ways exemplified what a church should be. And he's writing to them and he tells them this in verses 6 through 7 of Philippians 4. Let's read this out loud together, shall we? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus." I like what Jerry Bridges wrote one time, nothing is too big for God to handle and nothing is too small to escape God's Nothing is too big for God to handle and nothing is too small to escape God's attention. So today, friend, this is why we can have the peace of God. We cast it upon him. Jesus does not give us the world's peace. It's his peace. And knowing I can take this problem to him. My Savior cares, not as the world gives. So I don't have to be troubled. I don't have to be afraid. I have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, all the philosophies of this world, all the great thinkers, all the great minds. We have an understanding that they would not have, not because of what you know, but because of who you know. And because of who you know, that changes what you know. And you have a knowledge now of God and his grace and his mercy that he's given to you in Christ. Here's a third dynamic of peace, and it's this. It's also peace with others. So God has given you himself. He's given you an inward peace. And just in case this ever happens, just in case, you may never have this happen in your life, but for other people like us, uh, this does happen. Just in case you have a conflict with another person, God gives you resources, resources to live at peace with them. The Spirit of God will give you wisdom. The Spirit of God will give you strength. The Spirit of God will give you all the resources you need to live at peace. And you say, well, this just isn't for me. Friend, that's just something a Christian should not say. A Christian should not say it as an excuse for sin. This is just the way I am. This is how I've always been. God demands something different, especially in regards to living at peace with one another, that we as Christians can do that. Let's examine just some verses here that talk about this. Our Savior, in his most famous sermon in Matthew 5, verse 9, said this. Read together with me. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Let's read together again. In case you might not think it here that God is concerned about conflict, let's read this together. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with most people. That's not what it says. With everyone. Not everyone's broad, friend. It's broad. Everyone. Does God give you the grace to do that, friends? Absolutely. It doesn't mean everything's going to be reconciled, but from your end, as far as your accountability from God, you can do what pleases Him. Why? Because you have His peace. Here's another verse. Let's read this together. Make every effort to do what leads to peace. So, if God is indeed your source of peace, and He must be, Friend, that means there is not a person on the planet that you cannot pursue peace with. That includes your spouse, that includes your children, that includes parents, that includes a coworker, maybe a fellow church member. Don't depend on others to give you peace. Don't trust in circumstances to give you peace. God alone, through Christ, providing his spirit, that is your source of peace. 
That's our source of peace. Let's look at the third ingredient here. And that's rejoicing and knowing he's in control. Look at verse 28 with me again, if you would. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. Why should they be joyful? What is their great source of joy? What should it be? It's this, that Jesus is going back to the Father. And then we come to this phrase. This phrase is a little, little unique, a little different, a little bit more difficult to understand. Jesus says, the Father is greater than I. Well, what do you make of this? I mean, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 30, that I and my Father are one. Well, most scholars would say this, that he's referring to Jesus in his incarnate state. And Jesus would be returning back to a place of majesty, glory, adoration, worship, and praise. What we're going to do, we're going to take a moment here. Sandy, I think, needs to exit. And what I want to do, I'm not sure what, what is wrong with Sandy. I want to pray for her real quick. Can I do that in the middle of my message? Let's pray for our dear sister in Christ. And um, let's pray for her and as she needs to step out. So let's bow together for prayer, then we'll get back into the message. Father, uh, I pray for Sandy, and I, I pray that you would uh, give her grace and help and alleviate whatever pain uh, she might be in right now. I thank you for what a dear sister in Christ she is, and what a precious friend she is, and what a blessing she is to so many people. So I pray, Father, that uh, you would bless her now, give her grace, and give her strength uh, during this time. And we trust in you, just as we're looking at right now in your word, that uh, you are trustworthy with whatever problem we face. So we trust that in your hands as our good Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's how, why the disciples should rejoice. Why should you rejoice today? Why should you be a joyful believer? Why? Because Jesus has gone back to the Father. He's gone back to be with his Father. And if you look at verse 29 here, here's really the purpose as to why John is in your Bible. Look at verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may what, friends? Believe. This is why this is in your Bible. So that you would believe. Here's, what, here's why he's telling them this. So that you would know this is not an accident. This is not some sort of chance. It's not some sort of luck. It's so you would believe. Now we get to verses 30 and 31, and here's the point Jesus really wants to drive home. Look what he says. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Now keep in mind what's going on here. Jesus' followers would see him die, one of the cruelest deaths anyone could ever witness. And that would be a crucifixion on the cross. And it would seem like when he would die on the cross, like he's not in control. Satan is in control here. It would seem like that. But that was not reality. 
In fact, Jesus said in John 10, verse 18, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. So even though it seemed like Satan would be in control and Satan was winning, Jesus wanted them to know that is not a victory for Satan. Notice his words here. He has no claim on me. Literally meaning he has nothing in me, nothing on me, nothing to accuse me of. There was no accusation that Satan or anyone else could ever make of Jesus' guilt, his sin, deceitful words, and impure life. Nothing. He had nothing on the Savior. As one theologian writes, Satan is powerless to rule against a sinless man. And Jesus wanted his disciples to know when he died on the cross, there's really only one in charge. And it's not Satan. And it's not the Roman soldiers. It is God. And even though the devil is real, and you find that in passages like this and other passages, he is not uh, a fictitious character. He's real. He's powerless against the Savior. He's powerless against Jesus. Satan is not the reason Jesus died on the cross. Why? Look what he says. But I do as the Father commanded me. It's out of obedience, and it's out of love for the Father. So what keeps you from worry? What keeps you from fear? and anxiety, or having a troubled heart. It's this. Who's really in charge here? Who's really in control? Who's in control of all things? And that's God. You know, the sovereignty of God is more than just a a little thing that we debate about and, and that people, Christians, like to argue about. This is a bedrock reason why you don't have to live in worry and fear and anxiety. God is in absolute control. Do you believe that today? So if he's in absolute control, I don't have to be in control. And I shouldn't want to be in control. I shouldn't want to run the universe. I shouldn't even want to run my own life. We want God to have complete control over all things. So you know you can praise him today. You're not in control. Satan is not in control. God is in control. God is the one who's in control of all things. So in order to have peace and joy in a troubled world, you have to be thoroughly convinced, friend, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Are you convinced of that personally? Can you personally say that? I'm personally convinced Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And Jesus' point here is that the helper, the Holy Spirit, reminds you of that truth. So when they see Jesus die on the cross, he would die one time for all as a final sacrifice, and that would never happen again. Reminds me of a couple years ago, I was mowing my lawn. One of my favorite things to do is mow the lawn. But it wasn't my favorite thing to do that day. Because as I'm mowing the lawn, this wasp came. And I thought, well, they never get to me before. They're not going to get to me today. It stung me right through my sock. Right through my sock, that thing stung me. And, and so I'm, I, can't, I was like, oh, that really hurt. And I look at that thing and it's flying around. Then it came up right in my face and it laughed at me. I'm kidding. That didn't really happen. But the thing was flying around and I made sure that thing would never torment another person again. And I didn't even feel bad about it. And it made me think of this. 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? Where, where is it? It's gone. And, and a wasp, and, and Pastor Kyle did the research for me today, so what I'm saying is accurate, can only sting you how many times? Once. will never sting anyone again. And friends, will Jesus ever die on the cross again? No. 
one time, one final victory. And Jesus' point here is this, that the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, points you and guides you to that truth. So today, if you get on an airplane, you probably don't worry a whole lot, I I trust, if you've flown a lot, because you trust that pilot is trained. He's qualified to fly that plane. When I go to my doctor, who happens to be a Christian doctor, who's a, who's a friend of mine, we pray together, we have good visits together. Um, I don't like when he tells me to step on a scale, but that's a personal issue. But we, we have a good time together, and, and he, uh, we have good fellowship. I trust what he tells me, because I believe he's qualified to tell me that. The same thing with my auto mechanic. I trust what he tells me. In the morning, I don't have any doubts the sun is going to come up. No doubt. In the morning, I have no doubt I'm going to have air to breathe, the proper amount of oxygen to breathe. And you, child of God, you don't need to worry. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You can have right now, the circumstances don't have to be better, the people don't have to be better. You don't need a boatload of cash to have this happen. Right now, child of God, forgiven of your sins and dwelt by the Spirit of God, you can have peace and joy. Do you believe that today? You can have that. Not based on my word, friend, but based on the word of God. Because Jesus returning to the Father is our assurance of his presence, his peace, and his joy. So when you face discouragement, it's inevitable. It happens to all of us. Preach this truth to yourself. Preach it over and over again. My Savior is in heaven, and he is my source of peace and joy. And when you face uncertainty, what's going to happen tomorrow? And, And you're worried about your future, remember this. My Savior is in heaven. He is Lord of all. And he is my source of peace and joy. When a so-called friend hurts you and, and maybe slanders you or hurts you financially, remember this, my Savior is in heaven and he is my source of peace and joy. And when you face grief and sadness and pain and sorrow and, sad, and, and sickness, even the loss of a loved one, and unexpected things happen in life, remember this, my Savior is in heaven and he is my source of peace and joy. I trust, friend, that's your source of contentment. That's your source of peace. And that's your source of joy today. I can assure you of this, you look anywhere but to Jesus. Anywhere but to the King of kings and Lord of lords. I promise you, peace and joy are going to be elusive. You'll never find it outside of him. But God offers you this today. And can I encourage you with one thing today? If, if you're not totally sure your sins are forgiven and, and you can't honestly say you're in Christ, can I encourage you with this to, to come seek me out after church or maybe seek out Pastor Kyle or the individual who brought you to church? And I'd like to take a little bit extra time from the word and share with you how you can know your sins are forgiven and how you can be a child of God. Friend, you may need prayer and you may need counsel. You might be in need of biblical encouragement today, and we'd like to pray with you. We'd like to pray for you. So if there's a way we could do that, we'd like to serve you in that capacity. But in Christ, there is peace and there is joy today.
Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we confess so often we look to ourselves, we look to people, we look to resources, sometimes financial, sometimes physical, and and we go to places where there's no peace and there's no joy. Father, how many times have we been deceived? How many times have we thought that trying to find satisfaction outside of you would satisfy us? And yet, Father, we know right now you are a gracious and a good and a forgiving God, and we want to be careful to confess any and all sin before you. And I pray for those here today, including myself, that we would be thoroughly convinced that you are a God who gives peace, that Christ offers his peace to his followers, but it comes his way. And I pray that we would draw upon your resources for peace and joy. Not people, not stuff, not things, not circumstances, but you. And thank you, Father, you are the one who never changes. Our Savior is the same yesterday, today, and forever. May we trust in him and find us, I pray, passionately pursuing his glory in all things. We love you because you first chose to love us. Thank you, Father. And we ask this in Jesus' name.